Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Right in, your Glenn Mack. Now it is noon in the Delaware Valley. We are six and a half hours away from kickoff of the Super Bowl, and one guy who will be there, Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer, joined us today from uh, sunny Inglewood, California, where it's... Probably about 50 degrees warmer than it is here today, so enjoy. How are you, Jeff? Hey, Glenn. Hey, hey Ray. How you guys doing? I'm hey, we're doing we're, we're how are you doing, doing, Jeff? Bro. We're doing great. I'm good. Uh, you had a really interesting story in today's paper uh, suggesting that the Matthew Stafford trade, uh, where the Rams brought him in from Detroit, could be a blueprint for the Eagles this offseason. Um, so... Make the argument. Um, what what are we going to see today that might be a lesson for the Eagles? Well, I mean, I, I want to preface that with that both teams obviously are in different cir- circumstances. I mean, the Rams obviously have a much better roster and are much closer to, you know, they were much closer to getting back to the Super Bowl than the Eagles are. Um, but I just wanted to kind of use it as, an, as a pathway into looking at trades historically and and the success and failures of them and and if this is something that the Eagles would entertain because I mean there have been teams in their in their situation that have been willing to to make that that gamble on a veteran quarterback and and we know that there are a few out there that could be on the market um there may not be uh it sounds like for one Aaron I don't think Aaron Rodgers would have been on their on their radar but Aaron Rodgers it sounds like he's almost 100% returning to the Packers uh, but Russell Wilson is certainly someone I think that that could be uh, wrangled free from Seattle, and we all know about Deshaun Watson. He doesn't want to be in Houston. Of course, that's a very thorny situation because you have to wait for all of his legal his legal problems to clear themselves up. Um, and then there's guys like Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I don't know if they're necessarily upgrades over Jalen Hurts in terms of the long term, um, but if you're looking at Wilson and Watson, those are two guys I. I I think the Eagles will, will have keyed themselves on uh, and will um, if there's an opportunity to get them. Because, look, I think there's still questions about Jalen Hurts, and, and I think every, everyone can, can agree with me there. Um, he did improve last year. Uh, he's young. His contract, his rookie contract, allows the Eagles to, do, um, to address a lot of the holes that they have on the roster. They have three first-round draft picks to do so, um, but they also have three first-round draft picks to, to get a quarterback of that caliber. And I'm not saying they're going to, they need to use all three of them, uh, and I'm sure they don't want to. You can use future picks, et cetera. But if you have an opportunity to get a Russell Wilson here, you instantly upgrade the roster and the position, and you give yourself a legitimate chance to be in contention for a Super Bowl. Um, and I think the same could be said of Deshaun Watson, who is probably more appealing because he's uh, eight years younger, 
um, and you don't have to worry about, obviously, the longevity and the wear and tear. Um, now, these are all kind of speculative things. I get that. Um, but I think it's certainly something that Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie are entertaining, uh, knowing them very well. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, sure that this, I'm sure that discussion has, has been going on. And even though the organization has, you know, and Nick Sirianni, Nick Sirianni at, at the end, his final, his final meeting with you guys kind of said, no, Jalen Hurts is our guy. I mean, it's, it's, yep. that, that's the end of it. And um, when he said that, and you were in the room when he said that, uh, did it have the ring of truth to you? Or did it, did it have, you know, the coach kind of saying what he felt like he had to say at the moment? Or do you think he genuinely feels that, that he's, he's perfectly fine with going ahead with Jalen Hurts? I think he is fine going ahead with Jalen Hurts. Um, that being said, I don't, I, he doesn't make that decision, right? Howie Roseman does. And, and really, honestly, Jeffrey Lurie does. Um, so, and I don't, from what I understand, I think Jeffrey uh, likes Jalen Hurts. Um, and I think Howie does as well. But how he expended a second round pick on a guy he thought he'd be a backup. Um, you know, did Jalen Hurts go out there and, and make a legitimate claim that he's going to be a long term franchise quarterback? I don't think so, right? Does that, can anyone say that? Yeah, no, so I think to, I think he earned right, so, the uh, in in lieu of an of an alternative. I think he earned the right to to do it for another season. Right, and and I know Howie, um, and. Uh, and I know how he thinks, and I think that's, you know, obviously Nick's going to have a play a huge role in it. I'm not, I'm not just counting uh, his, his opinion on that. But what do you, what do you second to say? Of course they're going to endorse. That's the only thing they could say at that point was to endorse Jalen Hurts for the future, and that may very well be how it pans out. If you ask me, of the three options of let's say Hurts trade for a quarterback and draft one, I still think Hurts is, is the most likely next season. Uh, that being said. Um, you know, if, if John Schneider comes to Howie and says, hey, let's talk about moving Russell, are you interested in Russell Wilson? I bet you Howie says yes. Now, does that mean a trade happens? There's a lot that has to happen. You have to figure out if Russell Wilson wants to come here. He said last, his, he said last year um, that Eagles weren't on that list. The same goes with Deshaun Watson. That being said, I don't think um, it's ever that easy because I think ultimately players realize that their options are aren't as grand as they as they believe them to be. Yeah, I guess that's one of the questions I was going to ask you, Jeff, was because both of these guys, both Wilson and Watson, have either either they themselves or their representatives have put out lists of places that uh, if they had to go, this uh, okay, I'll go here. And Philadelphia never turned up on either guy's list. Uh, and but I'm but I'm just wondering in in light of the fact that the Eagles were a playoff team this year, the, the seventh seed for what, it was, for what it's worth. But they actually, I think they went farther than people thought they were going to go. I think they proved to be a little bit better than people thought they were. Do you think there's a chance that either of those guys would now, in light of what happened this year, would look at Philadelphia as maybe a more desirable landing spot than they would have this time a year ago? I do. And if you look at Russell Wilson's list, it was the Cowboys, the Saints, the Bears, and the Raiders. Okay, the Cowboys extended Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott, so that's not going to happen. The Saints, Sean Payton retired, so that's not probably going to happen. And the Bears went and drafted Justin Fields, so that's not going to happen. So that's three of the four teams that he named that, that they're not going to trade for Russell Wilson. So he's got to look at his situation and say, all right, if I want to move, you know, what are my opportunities? And let's look a little more closely at Philadelphia. Now, there's a lot that 
people speculate with Russell that he wants to be in a certain market because he's he's got uh, you know post football career and he's got his wife Sierra who's a, who's a superstar New York Vegas L A those types of places but Philadelphia is like the sixth borough I mean and then if I'm Howie Roseman I go to Russell and say hey look you step right when you sign with when you come to Philadelphia you will be playing behind the best offensive line you've played in your entire career. That's got to be appealing if I'm Russell Wilson. You have a number one caliber wide receiver in Devontae Smith. You have a top five caliber tight end in Dallas Goddard. We have salary cap space where you can go out and get a receiver from a, from a deep free agent class to be that number one, you know, one a guy. Um, Philly, to me, yes, you look at the defensive side, there are a lot of holes. You know, if you ask me, the rosters, they're not close. Um, that being said, you, you go to Russell, you, all, you instantly make us much closer by coming here. And then Russell Wilson, I, I don't completely buy that Philly was not involved. The Eagles would not have done all the work they did last offseason, and I know that for a fact that they did on, Russell, on, on Deshaun Watson in terms of they were sending people down into Houston investigating this this case and what you know, the legitimacy of it and, and you know they were talking to his representatives. They wouldn't have done all that if they if they if they were told 100 percent that there's no way that Deshaun Watson would come to Philadelphia. And that being said, they probably also realized that again Watson can't just pick his spot as much as he thinks he can because there can be a lot of teams that are going to that are not even when this whole thing gets settled, whatever it is. There are going to be a bunch of teams. That John Mara has already said that they will not, uh, the Giants in no way, shape, or form will trade for Deshaun Watson. Does that mean Philly will? I, I don't know or not. But I, I just I think that, that that's something that they probably feel that they can handle. Jeff McLean is our guest from the Inquirer. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff underscore McLean. Let me um, change the topic a little bit. Um, you were out there. You're out there at the Super Bowl, and Jason Kelsey, Eagle Center, was out there nominated for Walter Payton Man of the Year. Um, and he has not yet officially said whether he is coming back, but by all indications from what you write, he is coming back. What do you, uh, how do you view that right now? Well, I think um, that he makes very clear that he has not made a decision. Uh, and the people I've talked to that are close to him, they say the same thing. Um, they, they don't know he, um, what, what the decision ultimately will be. Um, I've known Jason for a long time. I mean, he said, yeah, right now there's much more that, that has me returning than not. But he's like, I, I just need to get away from it for a while and just think, uh, you know, and see how I feel and think about, you know, the, the pros and cons in his head about coming back and doing it all again. It's a lot, as you guys know. It's like anything. It's, it's can you mentally invest yourself in something for um, what? And I know how Jason does it. I mean, this is a guy that completely invests his entire being into playing the, the game of football. That being said, there are a lot of reasons for him to, to return. Uh, one, he's, he's still probably one of the best centers in the world, that, you know, one of the best at what he does in the world. He's playing at a high level. He's relatively healthy. The Eagles have changed his practice schedule so that he can now recover much easier, easily than he previously had the opportunity to. Uh, the team is seemingly on the upswing. He likes a lot of the young pieces uh, in the building. Um, he lo- he loves the camaraderie of being around the guys. He has a contract that would pay him millions of dollars. They're going to have to restructure this contract before June 1st, and he's liable to make. That's a lot of money to leave on the table. Now, Jason doesn't play the game of football for money, but that being said, when you have as many opportunities as Jason Kelsey has post-football, 
you would think that, oh, wow, yeah, he has all this at his fingertips. He can go on the TV, he can go into work for the Eagles, he can do a million things. But in reality, for a lot of those guys, it's tough to step off that cliff. And so why not just kick the can down for another row because you still can play well and you're still making a lot of money and you're still on a team that has a chance to win it all. So I think seemingly, and I painted that all to Jason, he's like, you're right. There's, there's a lot more that would make me want to return than not return. That being said, he still has to kind of take time away and talk to his wife and, and, and his family and figure out you know, what his decision will be. But if you're, if you're asking me, you put me on the spot, I think Jason Kelsey's back next year. Yeah, I th- uh, if I were to guess, I would say the same, Jeff. Um, for one thing, he played – he had a just a great season. I mean, he was really good. I mean, he was as good this year as he's ever been. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I, I think he has a good feeling about the team. Uh, he obviously has a tremendous relationship with his position coach. Uh, I think he likes the guys he's playing with. Um, I, I think I would be surprised. I would be surprised if he if he if he walked away. If if it came to that, let's say he he actually does just decide. You know what? I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being in pain every Monday. You know what? I'm just I'm I've just played myself out. I'm done. He walks away. What do you think they do? I mean, do you think do you think they 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 take Ike Siamalo and just you know when he comes back, just put him at center where he played. He played and played very well at Oregon State. He was actually very he was actually better at center than he was at guard or tackle. Or do you think they or do you think they moved Dickerson over? I I wouldn't. I mean I I thought that Dickerson to me looked like he really settled in nicely at left guard and, and he and my lot I thought would formed a really really good left side. I wouldn't want to break that up. If they had to replace if they had to replace Kelsey suddenly like now, my guess is the first the first guy up would probably be say Amalo. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. They do they have they have a bunch of options on the roster to step into that role. Obviously, none of them is good as having Jason Kelsey there. But, I mean, they have two starting caliber, uh, two guards that start that can do it. I mean, Isaac, as you said, have done it. it. I always thought that Isaac would be the guy to replace Jason. But over time, I, I, I didn't feel as confident about that because just talking to people there, they, they just felt like, oh, no, no, he's, he's a guard now. Um, Isaac's a really smart guy, so he can handle a lot of the those types of uh, calling out plays and protections and doing that kind of stuff. Um, but I just wonder if at this point they would do it. Uh, Dickerson, I think maybe a little. I would have him a little ahead of Isaac, although as you, as you mentioned, um, he did end up playing very well the rest of the season once he got settled at left guard. Um, he's a totally different type of uh, specimen than Jason Kelsey. Just a big hulking guy. And it would be an adjustment for the team to go from someone who's 290 pounds to someone who's 330 pounds at that position. Um, doesn't mean you can't do it. And certainly you have centers that big. But um, I don't know. I feel like they, they like both those guys. I mean, Nate Herbig's a, uh, an option. Um, I don't think that would be the guy that they want to start there. I think they just like him in the reserve role. So then you have to start looking elsewhere. And, and there's a couple guys in the draft maybe that I think that they could see themselves drafting and put him in, put, put him in there right away. You're, you're not going to draft probably a center and, and well, you may drop one later in the first round, um, but you probably can get one in the second round. Um, I'm sure Ray, you've done probably much more work than I have on, on that class. Yeah. Linder, Linderbaum, couple, Linderbaum's a really good player, Jeff. He really Linderbaum's is. The best, right. Yeah. He's the best guy and he's probably a plug and play type of uh, center. And, um, but, 
that being said, I, I really do feel ultimately that this is not a question they're going to have to ask themselves. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, the game today, the Super Bowl 630. Uh, what's your thoughts? How do you see this one going? I know it's like the you know the, the national pulse on this one isn't what it typically would be because it's just two teams that, you know, you know, they're not like kind of, uh, you know, established type of franchises. But right. that being said, I think it's really intriguing. Um, and I think it's going to, I think it could really pan out to be a really good game because you see two teams that um, are evenly matched and uh, you, you see strengths of one team versus the weaknesses of another or, or vice versa. And um, yeah, I think you have to start with that, 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 L.A. Rams defensive line with Aaron Donald and Von Miller and all the other guys they got versus that Bengals offensive line, which you know is just not up to snuff. Um, that could be where the game is won and lost. And you know, the Bengals kind of seem to get things straightened out um, against the Chiefs uh, more so than they did in the prior game in which Burrow, Joe Burrow was sacked nine times. So if they can play that way and play this quick game, um, they can offset that. Um, but the Rams... They're, I mean, they're loaded, uh, you know, I mean, especially offensively. I mean, Cooper Cup is just sometimes just unstoppable. Uh, he can just run every tr- every round on the tree, and, and they can flex him out. It's like if they're worried about the Bengals doubling him, um, they can get him out of the slot, and they can get him matched up uh, against corners um, one-on-one. I mean, th- those Bengals safeties are good. They're, they're the key to that defense, if you ask me. And that will dictate a lot of, of what they do defensively. Um, but if you're asking me, ultimately, I, I you know, if, you're, if you want to just pick the two quarterbacks against each other, Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow, I just think that Stafford is more prone to make mistakes than, than Burrow. And that's why I would tip slightly the scales towards the Bengals. I know that I don't know how I could just as easily pick the Rams for many other reasons, but I, I'd like the Bengals and Burrow. Um, I don't, I don't know why. I just, I just feel this kid has got it. Um, and I just don't think he'll make them make a mistake. And I think staff, although he's played really well this year and he's a really good quarterback, don't get me wrong, but sometimes he just, he just makes bad decisions. And I think that if he makes one or two in this game, it'll cost him. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I'm, I'm really interested. Ray's going guys. the other way and I'll let him explain. I've not said, I'll, I'll say in the next segment, but Ray, go ahead. You can address that. No, I think you kind of said it, Jeff. I mean, I, I just I just look at that matchup of the Rams front seven against the Bengals offensive line, which is, I mean, they're not good. I mean, they're they're not good. Uh, and you know, I just I, I can I you can have. I think I agree with everything you said about Burrow. I think he's a I think he's a special special player. But last year, you saw what happened when the Kansas City Chiefs lost their two tackles, and you had Patrick Mahomes, who's a great quarterback. You saw what happened when they got up against that Beng- uh, the, the, the Buccaneers' defensive line. They just took over the game, and the quarterback just couldn't make a play. I just kind of yeah. see, see that mismatch at the line of scrimmage is going to be just too much, too much for Burrow. and, and those Because he's got Burrow's great, and he's got great playmakers, but I just think from tackle to tackle, that's where the game's going to be decided. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could just as easily uh, pick it for that reason. Um, sometimes I think McVeigh too. Um, if I'm if I'm going to give another reason why I think maybe the Bengals will win is just like I, I like Sean McVay. I think he's a really good coach. He's a good play caller. But but sometimes I think he gets too conservative, and I just want. Sometimes I worry about him in, in big big situations as well. I'm not saying that um, Zach Taylor is you know Vince Lombardi, but 
Um, I, I kind of like him a little more than, than McVay in this situation, but you're right. I mean, I, I, I'm probably giving, I'm probably overlooking just the, and as I meant, I even mentioned it at the top. I mean, that you went, you went and lose it up front. Right. And that, that could be just as much reason why the Rams will win and be victorious um, later tonight. Well, I think it has the chance to be a really fun Super Bowl. That I know. Yeah. And Jeff McClain, yeah. it is a pleasure uh, talking to you. We will check back with you. Oh, a lot to look forward to. Free agency, draft, all that good stuff. And thanks for always being available, man. Great, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, thank you. There's Jeff McClain. Um, I, I mean, really, Ray, one of the things I like about this, and the Rams are, is it now four, four and a half? I've seen it it's both uh, over the last couple of days. I think it was down to three and a half this morning. Oh, sweet. Um, well, the Rams are, you know, a little bit of a favorite, a little more than a field goal anyway. Um, but I, I, I think this is one that's more wide open than a lot we've had. And we've had a lot of good Super Bowls in recent years. Actually, how about coming up? We will talk about some of the great Super Bowls, some of the great finishes of Super Bowls in recent times. 215-592-9494. He's Ray Didinger. I'm Glenn Mack. Now, good time to get in if you want to check in on uh, the Super Bowl or the Eagles or the Sixers or whatever's on your mind. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Ray Dinger, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP, Super Bowl tonight. Ray, I, I am just going to pick the Bengals. I, I think really more out of my heart and what I want to see than what I know to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think it's a toss-up, right? So if I'm getting three and a half or four, I will definitely take the Bengals because I'll take the points. Um, I think that they are kind of on one of these Philadelphia Eagle magical runs, and I understand magical runs are good until they end. I mean, here's how the game is going to end. The Bengals kicker is going to hit a 48-yard field goal to win the game as the clock runs out, right? That's kind of Well, he seems – if any kicker is going to win the game, it's going to be him. Yeah. He, he's he, a, he, is, he, he, he doesn't think he can miss. He is unflappable. <laughs> uh, and there was a, uh, a good story this morning on uh, CBS Sports, which ranked the uh, greatest endings of the Super Bowls. Of, uh, you know, so I think it did the 15 greatest endings of Super Bowls. And we've had some really good ones in recent years. Remember, we went through that stretch. God, it seemed like it was forever, where the Super Bowls were just all bad games. They were blowouts. They were Boring. Remember that? Yeah. That was when the NFC was killing the AFC. Yeah. It was like, what, 12 out of 13 years or something in a row. And there were just a lot of bad games. And, and I don't know, last 15 years or so, we've had some great ones, of course, for our line of thinking. Of course, the greatest one was Super Bowl 52. Um, and they write about that. They, they said that was only the 12th greatest ending in the history of the Super Bowl. Really? Uh, yeah. And I'll read you what they said. And I'll give you maybe their top five. Um, they wrote, people forget that the Eagles actually trailed in this game before taking the lead on Zach Ertz's 11-yard touchdown pass from Nick Foles with 221 left. Philadelphia extended its lead to eight points with a field goal after Derek Barnett recovered Brandon Graham's forced fumble of Tom Brady. Similar to Super Bowl, i got to do the math, 46, 
Brady was able to get the Patriots in position for a last-second heave into the end zone with the entire city of Philadelphia holding his breath. Brady's pass once again fell harmlessly to the turf as Eagles fans could finally celebrate the franchise's first Super Bowl win. There you go. Nicely uh-huh. written. Who's Brian DiArdo. You know what? Maybe let's just hear it. Brady lines them up. He's back again. He steps up. He's hit. He stumbles. He is throwing it deep for the end zone, and it is batted around and incomplete. And the game is over. The game is over. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. Brilliant. That's just beautiful. You know, there are three plays from that game that I have stored on my phone, uh, and so I can play them whenever I want. That is one of them. Okay. Well, you know the other two. Well, the strip sack. Correct. And the Ertz touchdown? No, the Philly special. Oh, the Philly special. Although the Ertz touchdown would be worth adding as well. Uh, But, yeah, and I probably have watched the Philly special, I I swear to God, 500 times since the Super Bowl. I just will call it up at random. Uh, you, know, was, you, you know what was interesting was um, last week when we had when we t- played best of tell us your story yeah and we replayed the interview the excerpt of the interview we had with Gene Steratore who was referee in that game uh, talking about how close Nick Foles came to where where he lined up the, the 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 difference between that being legal and illegal was frighteningly close remember yes. and he said yes. I really had to watch it. And he said, "I'm convinced he was okay, but it's it was it was a much more of a touch and go kind of thing than people realized." Look, one thing about that game, and ultimately it benefited the Eagles, but I just think it benefited football fans. And this is, I mean, I know my you know I'm, I have a slant in this, but I do believe this is the referees decided. Look, this whole season has been really uh, hurt by the number of ticky tack penalties and controversial calls. So today. Let's let them play. Mm-hmm. And they did. And a pass that was incomplete, you know, the, the Steelers tight end had a pass that he certainly appeared to catch to me a couple weeks before that in the playoffs that was really incomplete. Well, guess what? With Zach Ertz, it was complete. I was fine with that. Uh, was Corey Clement in the end zone or out of bounds? Pretty close. He's in the end zone. Uh, the Nick Foles won. You know, was he line up illegally? Their Patriots fans still bitter about that. They let them play. Right. All right. So here right. you go. Yeah, I I would say one of the things that I'm one of the reasons I'm excited about this game uh, is you have two teams here in the Bengals and the Rams that commit very few penalties. Oh, that's good. I mean, the Bengals were the were the least penalized team in the NFL this year, and the Rams were third were third best in terms of avoiding penalties. So these are two of the three least penalized teams in the NFL. And Ron Torbert, who's the uh, who's the referee. Uh, is a guy that uh, is his crew through the third fewest penalties in, in the season. Now, he's working with a different crew today. He's the referee, and the other guy, the other officials are from different crews. Right. So it's not, it's not exactly his crew, but his crew, the one he was in charge of this year, was another, was another crew that was noteworthy for not throwing a lot of flags. So you've got him as the referee, and you've got two teams that did not commit penalties all year. So I think you're. I think the opportunity, the chance is there that you're going to have a pretty clean game. I hope they let it play out that way. All right, here you go. The five greatest finishes in the history of the Super Bowl, according to this story. 
Oh, God, number five. Why don't we why don't just break my dad's heart? Giants 20, Bills 19, Super Bowl 25, wide right, Scott Norwood. Mm-hmm. I personally wouldn't put it on the list, but there you have it. Uh, Super Bowl, you know what? I can do Roman numerals, but it always takes me a minute. 43, thank you. Steelers 27, Cardinals 23. That was a great Super Bowl, Ray, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Steelers are ahead. Larry uh, Fitzgerald gets a couple of late touchdowns. Arizona gets the lead with 2.37 to go. Roethlisberger just has that drive at the end. 40-yard completion to Santonio Holmes. Uh, Steelers in position for the score, and then one of the great plays in Super Bowl history that that uh, passed to Holmes. Perfect, perfect throw and a great, great, yeah. great catch. Great one. Uh, number three, Super Bowl 34. Rams 23, Dick Vermeil. Mm-hmm. Vermeil's Rams beat the Titans. You know what I remember about that Super Bowl? What's that? I had to um, go to a Super Bowl party, and it was a snowstorm in Philadelphia that day. That's all I remember. But the Rams beat the Titans 23-16, uh, the game that ends on the one-yard line. Kevin Dyson catches the slant pass. Looks like he's going to go in, and Mike Jones, Rams linebacker, uh, it stops him one yard short of the goal line as, as um, Dyson reaches out. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Right. And you see Vermeil on the sidelines, like, not sure. Yeah, nobody was sure. Right. Nobody was sure. And Mike Jones does a, does a great job because the, the Titans had walked the ball right down the field. You know, McNair was, had, had driven them right down the field. And, the, and it's a great play call. It's a really, really good play call where – yeah, where Dyson comes underneath, and they and the whole play is designed for him to be the guy to get open, and Mike Jones, Mike Jones saw it. You know, Mike Jones saw exactly what they were doing and got in perfect position to make the tackle that saves the game on the very last play. It doesn't get much more dramatic than that. No, it doesn't. Although this one is pretty dramatic too. The second best Super Bowl finish of all time was forty nine. Uh, Patriots beat the Seahawks 28-24, to and of course that is the one that people are still scratching their head on what Pete Carroll was thinking as uh, the uh, Seahawks have the ball at the one-yard line at the end with the chance to win and Marshawn Lynch in the backfield, and what do they do? Throw a pass. Uh, Malcolm Butler intercepts. That was a ridiculous call, but obviously great, great drama. Uh, and number one, they say, and pretty good, although I may go with either of the two previous ones, Super Bowl 42, Giants 17, Patriots 14. That was February 2008. And it is uh, Eli Manning's, the helmet catch, the, the throw, and then the helmet catch to David Tyree. And then they drive down the field, and, and he hits Plaxico Burris in the end zone with 39 seconds to go, although the Patriots come back and almost connect on a Brady to Randy Moss. Desperate fourth down pass at the end. Mm-hmm. And what these have in common, I think, is most of these have been... I'm just going to read you the years that these occurred, okay? 2008, 2015, 2000, uh, 2009. There's only one in the top 10 that was before 2002, that before 2000. So what it tells you is we've had some great Super Bowls. We have. I mean, for... For far too many years, I mean, for the first the, about the first twenty five of the fifty Super Bowls, most of the games I hate to say were kind of duds. Fifty two to seventeen. Yeah, they really were. They really were. And we you went through that one whole stretch where the NFC was just crushing the AFC, 
and mostly it was teams from the NFC East. It was it was you know it was either it was either the Cowboys or it was the Giants or it was the it was Washington that was just going in and just mauling whoever was coming over from the AFC. Yeah, usually Denver, it felt like. Yeah, it seemed like it was that way a lot. And um, but now over the last uh, twenty years, I mean, there have been far more good ones than bad. And you know, maybe listen, we're on a great run in this postseason. I mean, the postseason, the playoff football in this postseason has been. Tremendous. the the four division The four division games were all great games. The two conference championship games went right down to the wire. So maybe we're on a roll where we're going to have another great Super Bowl. I sure hope so. And the makings sure are there. They're, they, yeah. You've got you know, the makings are there. The two teams, the composition of the two teams, their styles of play, uh, the fact that you have prolific passing games going against relatively porous secondaries uh, sort of lends itself to make you think that this could be a game with uh, a lot of scoring and a lot of big plays. Yeah, I think so too. John over in Jersey, what's on your mind today, John? Good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. I um, wanted to say something about when you guys were talking about the designated hitter. And um, I agree with Ray uh, on this one. Um you know, it's the whole thing is what they do is they, over the years, what they have done, I, I, I know you guys remember this because you, you are as old as me. They used to call the American League the junior circuit. You remember that? Uh-huh. Okay. And there was nuances that were different between the National League and the American League. The one being that the umpire in the American League would always stand directly over the catcher so the American League would get higher strikes, and the National League umpire would kind of stand in next to the left side over the shoulder, and they would get the low strike. They've taken all that away. The strategy that's involved in the National – to be an American League manager, it, it, it's like being Pat Riley with the I, di- I so disagree, and I know that's, that's something oh, a lot of people say. Um, there's really not a whole lot. I, I think it actually adds strategy because it adds more variables. It adds more talent. There's more things you can do with it. What's the strategy with a pitcher? If a guy's on base, he's going to try to bunt. Where's this? What's the strategy that I'm missing? Strategy's all in, like, you know, sur- baseball is a game of survival. You have chess pieces when you're You didn't answer my question. Bunt. Let me, I'm going to ask you the question again. When it, When there's a man on base and the pitcher's up, he tries to bunt. That's the strategy. What what other strategy is there involved? Strategy would be would be to uh, put, am I going to bring a pinch hitter in to do the same job and base my pitcher only after letting them. Pitch you know what? Things? One of the things we've seen in recent years, and I'm not saying this is a good part of baseball because it's not, but starting pitchers are going out earlier in both leagues, I agree. Uh, and in the American League, the, the team. This was uh, not this year, but not last year, but the year before. Do you know what team had the shortest outings by starting pitchers overall? The I'll Yankees. Agree. The Yankees. There is no more American League team than the Yankees. Now, again, Ray, I'm not saying this is a good part of baseball, but you know what it is. They have the starting pitcher come out, try to go five, and then they go to this parade of relief pitchers who can all throw 99 miles an hour. Right. And they all throw one. Now, my point is not that the DH is good because of that. My point is that's irrelevant to the DH. Starting pitchers batting are are, – I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought here. Um, They don't take out starting pitchers – earlier in the National League anymore. They just take starting pitchers out in both leagues. Yeah, they take them out routinely. Right. So that part of the strategy, oh, am I going to you know, take out my starting pitcher because he's up? 
it doesn't matter anymore. The game that used to be that game isn't it anymore. I'm not saying it's better, but I do think the DH will help. And on that one, you and I will never agree. No. Which is cool. 215-592-9494. He's Ray Didinger. I'm Glenn Mack now. We'll come back. We'll wrap it up um, after this on 94WIP. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, 94 WIP. All right, Ray, a lot of stuff going on. Maybe you and I forgot to discuss something, one or two items. Let's go to our producer, Moshe Kravitz, and find out what did we forget to talk about today. Well, you guys didn't forget to talk about this first thing because it just came out. Yeah, I was just going to mention this. Go ahead, Moshe. Yeah, according to Chris Mortensen, there's a belief that Colts quarterback Carson Wentz will probably be traded or released before March 19th. The reason for that timing is is March 19th is when $15 million in his base salary would become guaranteed. His future in Indianapolis looks, quote, bleak. Wow. Ray, uh, what a disaster. Um, I, I take no you know, joy in that, to be honest with you. I mean, whatever. He quit on this city and turned his back on the franchise and did all that, but it is astounding to me what he fell from from what we saw that second year, that Super Bowl season, when he was the MVP until he got hurt, to now a guy who was traded by the Eagles to the team they wanted to go to, to Frank Reich. Yep, seemed like the perfect situation. How did it just go so bad for him, Ray? I I don't know. I don't know. To me, it's, it's going to go down as if if Chris is right, and, and you and I both know Chris Mortensen, he's, to me, one of the most credible reporters that's out there. No doubt. Um, I mean, he, I'm sure he got this from Chris Ballard. I'm sure he got this from the Colts general manager. Because Chris Ballard, at the end of the regular season, when he met with the press, was asked about Carson, was asked about the quarterback situation and gave no assurances that Wentz would be back. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty startling, actually, his answer. It was, well, we're going to have to see about that. Yeah. Uh, which was sort of a, are you kidding me? And now, so that's why this... Uh, while it's surprising, uh, and when you put it in, in the context of his statement at the end of the year, kind of makes sense. And and uh, as Moshe reported it, this was what Chris was reporting that that his, the, it is over for him in Indianapolis, and he will either be he will either be traded, or he will be released outright. Well, I can't imagine somebody's going to take him in trade and pay that fifteen mil. If you assume that if I don't take him, they'll cut him, and then we can try to pick him up much cheaper. Right. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that'll be something to watch. How about that? Okay, <laughs> Moshe, I don't know if you can top that one. Well, maybe not, but uh, tonight could possibly be, likely maybe, Al Michaels' last NBC broadcast alongside Chris Collinsworth and, and with that whole crew. It's also his 11th Super Bowl that he's called, tying him with Pat Summerall for most by a play-by-play man of all time. Uh, so he's says he's not retiring. He gets plenty of time to play golf. But at this kind of turning point in Al Michaels' career, I wanted to know if you guys could reflect on, on Al Michaels' career to this point. 
Sure. First of all, former Tell Us Your Story guest, which we really enjoyed, and uh, a guy who arguably made the greatest call in the history of sports, being the 1980 Olympics. Uh, well, I'll let Ray kind of put it in perspective, but I will say this. The, the rumor has it that Al Michaels next year is going to go to Amazon Prime, which is going to start streaming exclusively 15 Thursday night games, which uh, you will get if, if uh, on over-the-air TV if you live in the home market, but otherwise not be able to get, which means that a lot of people are going to be watching these games on Amazon Prime. It's a it's a big moneymaker for Amazon, and they're trying to get Al Michaels there, and apparently the, the deal is going to allow him to call a couple NBC games, maybe one playoff game, but that's what he's going to do. By the way, Ray, just as an aside, and then I'll let you reflect on Michaels, if that happens, is that going to be the thing that will finally bring you to streaming? <laughs> if they take the NFL off of TV, you're going to, Ray, you're going to finally have to get there. Yeah, you kind of know how I feel about Thursday night football. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> All right. So, Moshe asked, perspective, Al Michaels' career. Uh, well, I think, he's the, I think he's the best football play-by-play man uh, that I've ever heard. Um, I think that he's uh, his, his ability to call the game, bring some personality to it, a little bit of a sense of humor, and never get in the way of his color man. And he's worked with he's worked with all of them. He's worked with Collinsworth for a long time. He worked with John Madden. He worked with Deardorff. I mean, he's worked with he's worked with all the different color guys, and he makes them all look good. Uh, and um, I just think his yeah his uh, his ability to paint the picture, his preparation. He's he's never he's never at a loss for. Um, for, for rules, and I mean, he's just on top of everything. And I just, I know I'm a little bit, not great, but I know I'm somewhat, and I've seen how he comes in, and I've seen how he prepares. Unlike a lot of play-by-play guys, he will actually sit in with his color analyst and watch tape together. He goes into every broadcast having done his homework and fully prepared, and it shows. It shows in the product, and that's why he's still, geez, he's 77 years old, and he's still as much in demand as he's ever been. And I saw that the possibility, I do think the Amazon thing is going to happen. It seems like that's pretty much a done deal. But the possibility is ESPN is coming back, and they would like to get him back to do Monday Night Football on ESPN, which he did for, which he did for a long, long time. Uh, and I, it's, it's, the only question is, can he juggle both of those things? But apparently he's considering that option. Wow. The guy his age to be that good and that in demand is, is uh, pretty impressive. And. And yes, Collinsworth also today, and and I, I I liked Collinsworth, and I'm telling you that Super Bowl Fifty Two when it just seemed that he so wanted the storyline to be that Tom Brady was going to lead him back to victory, right up to the moment where when the pass falls incomplete at the end, you audibly hear him groan. Soured me forever on Chris Collins. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, you're not alone. I mean, the, uh, a, a lot of the people in the city heard that groan. Yes, the Eagles fans, and who always, who always said, and my wife was one of them, would always say, "Why does Chris Collinsworth hate the Eagles?" And I always said, "That's not really true. It's just you know, he's. I think he's an equal opportunity critic. You know, he'll he'll you know if somebody some team does something wrong, if some coach does something wrong, player does something bonehead." He'll say it, you know, and, and, and fans of those teams take that stuff personally. But I always thought he called a pretty straight-up honest game until that day. And I have yep. to say, he totally, he totally bought into the storyline that here comes Tom Brady, uh, here comes Tom Brady riding to the rescue once again, and he wanted that to happen. He yes, really he wanted that to happen. Yes, he was rooting he for did. it to happen. Yep. And, you know, that's, that, that's the one thing, that's the one thing an announcer cannot allow happen. And 
all the stuff people had said about him, you know, hating the Eagles. I don't know if he ever hated the Eagles, but on that particular day, he was certainly rooting for Tom Brady. Amen. What's next, Mosh? Well, uh, we're nine days into the Olympics. I want to oh. see if you guys have watched any of it. And Ray? if you have watched any of it, any thoughts you care to share? Ray, I watched for the first time last night. Oh, really? Yeah, well, so we went to dinner at our next-door neighbor's house. Uh, and uh, Happy birthday, Sangita, by the way. And uh, I got home uh, like 10-something, 10 10-ish. 10 and uh, it's like I didn't want to go to bed, but I didn't want to invest in really watching anything. And I said, like, oh, let's see what's on the Olympics. So I turned it on the main network, and they had snow dancing or whatever, <laughs> acrobats and half pipes, you know, like that stuff that mm-hmm. I just had no interest in. Right. And so I just, like, put on the guide, like, what else can I watch? And, Ray, I have to admit, I spent mm, a good 20, 25 minutes invested in Great Britain versus China curling. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The Brits took them down. Well, I figured they would. They were big favorites. Well, I had the big lead, and then China's coming back, but the Brits uh, pulled out a 7-6 victory. And it was the first Olympics I watched. And, I mean, we've... You know, I have a soft spot for curling. I actually had done it earlier in my life. And it's one of those things you can watch without tremendous emotion or investment of energy. Yeah, that's true. And so I did. Uh, and I know uh, to Moshe's question, you've clearly been watching the figure skating, but less for what's on the ice than who's behind the boards. Correct. Correct. I've been uh, I've been watching the figure skating because my son is shooting it. <laughs> Yeah, of course. I have a I have a rooting interest there. I'm uh, I'm admiring the camera work, and I was I was really I was really happy for Nathan Chen, uh, the, you know the uh, the American uh, male figure skater, the best the best skater probably in the world, who probably should have won a gold medal four years ago, but had a rough tournament and has kind of been living with it ever since, and came back this year to redeem himself and did. I mean his. Uh, if you have a chance, if you if you didn't see it live, um, you can YouTube it and see his uh, his his long skate, his long program, the free skate. Uh, it's absolutely spectacular. It's it's one it's one of the great freestyle skating exhibitions you will ever see. I didn't realize that they've they've changed the uh, the format that they they you can now use that the music you skate to can now be vocal. It used to always be you yeah. ha- it had to be instrumental. Now it can yeah. be vocal. Yeah. And he yeah. and he skated to a kind of a compilation, kind of a mash of Elton John stuff. But most of it was Rocket Man. And uh, it's um uh, Nathan Chen, I mean, hit it way out of the park and won the gold medal and I was really happy to see that because David David has been around him through the practices and through the competition and said that he seems like a very nice guy and he was kind of rooting for him and boy he came through in a big way well, I didn't notice Nathan Chen but I did notice the cameraman there behind the glass and David was spectacular oh he was all over it all right Ray Bengals 27 Rams 24 I'm going to pick the upset you uh I'm going with the Rams uh I just think I, I just I just think that their defense their front seven is going to be too good uh, and I, I love Joe Burrow, and I'm sure he'll get this opportunity again. I just, I just think that the the Rams defense is going to be too much for the right. Cincinnati Bengals offensive line. So I'm saying Rams 30 to 24. All right, uh, should be a good game. Mosher Kravitz, thanks to you. Let's get out of here. Give John Johnson his turn. Ray and I'll see you next week. And Ray, I will see you Tuesday night. Puddler's Kitchen and Tap, 6:30 to 9:30. Big charity event for Philadelphia youth basketball, hosted by Mark Zuma. Brews with Zoos. We'll see you then. And Ray and I'll see you next Saturday on 94 WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.